0: Welcome to Redeemer Church. I'd like to read to you from Psalm 108, verses 1 through 5. My heart is confident in you, O God. No wonder I can sing your praises with all my heart. Wake up, lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations, for you are unfa- your unfailing love is higher than the heavens. Be exalted, O oh God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. I'm Beth, and I love to volunteer here. And I want to welcome all newcomers this morning. Thank you for choosing to be here with us. We love to have you here. And this is our seventh week in our um, Power of Hope teaching series. Pastor Tim, will you tell us more about what we have in store today? For the last six weeks, we've been talking about jeremiah twenty nine Today we finally get to this one verse that we all know so well that's um, put on coffee mugs and, and billboards and walls and tattoos and everything else and that's jeremiah twenty nine eleven for I know the plans I have for you says the Lord plans to prosper, have a good future, all of those things. but you really can't understand and know that verse without these last six weeks where we've been talking about. The context. I was thinking about um, some of the authors that I really appreciate, that I, that I like to read. Um, someone like Corey Ten Boom um, and The Hiding Place and, and how I, I wouldn't appreciate her writings if I didn't understand the context that she grew up in and the fact that she survived the Holocaust and the things that she endured. Or um, someone like C.S. Lewis, who is one of my favorite authors and and you know the, what it was like to, to live through um, World War II times and, and all of that, and, and how context matters, and the context of our life matters. And so we're going to talk today about how God does not have unfinished plans for us, that God has no unfinished plans, and that while we may not understand what's going on in our lives, we may not know what the ending is going to be. God has a plan for us. There's an intent for that plan. And while we may not know what God is thinking for us, we may may not know what God has for us, there is a plan. And it is a good plan. And God is thinking about us. God has a purpose for us. And it won't go unfinished in our lives. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your presence in this place. God, we ask that you would move in our hearts and our minds. That it would be present in all of this experience. You are holy. Work in us as we strive to be more and more like your son, Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. And everyone said, amen. So today, we're going to focus just on one verse, Jeremiah twenty-nine, eleven, and And it's, it's a promise, really. Promise to God's people. And so I'd invite you to read along with me. Um, Let's read it together. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, and they are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Now this verse is one that that it's one of the most beloved verses in the Bible. It's really for a lot of people, it's one of the only verses they've memorized in the Old Testament. Probably, possibly, even one of the only verses they've memorized in the entire Bible, um, outside of John three sixteen, and I hear people quote it all the time. It's quoted in times of of trial and adversity. People quote it to others when they're sick or in the hospital. Um, you know, we print it on our coffee mugs and put it on the wall. We tattoo it on our bodies. And for many, it's it's an important verse. It's a keystone verse or a cornerstone verse in people's lives. And considering the promise that it makes for someone who believes in God, it makes a whole lot of sense. Why? Because it's a pretty fantastic verse. It's been a lifeline for so many people over the years, especially especially if you're one of pretty much everyone who's ever had a hard time in their life. But it's impossible to fully understand the, um, this verse unless you really understand the context. You have to understand the background and what it means because if you take it out of its context, it loses so much meaning. It loses so much depth, depth just like everything else. It's important that we understand that, the, that this is written to the Jewish people as they're exiled in Babylon, meaning they were forcibly removed from Jerusalem, having been uprooted from their family and friends, and they had to live hundreds of miles away, In the center of worldliness, worldly life, idol worship. Now, if you were going to stereotype this, it'd be like being uprooted from St. John's and moved to Las Vegas, okay? If you were into those stereotypes, now I know someone's going to be mad because I know people in Las Vegas and they're good people, and I agree, I'm sure there was a couple good people in Babylon too, Um, but I'm not talking about just a couple good people, I'm talking about that this is the center of idol worship in this period. The Babylonians um, were known for their worship of idols. They were pagans. For the Jews, all of their dreams had shattered. And, And I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this. So I can't speak for you, but I'll speak for me, because I know I've asked you this. I've asked this. I've been to the point in my life where I've said, how could God have let this happen? How could God have let this happen in my life? If I was truly a beloved child of God, if God really loved me, how could God have let this happen? Now, I don't know if you've ever been in that place, but I have. And this is where the Jews were as well. They were asking that same question. If we're the chosen people, why would God have let this happen? How could this have happened? How could we have ended up here? And they wondered, had God forgotten them? Have you ever asked that question? Has God forgotten me? Because I feel like I've been forgotten. And in all their confusion and all of their despair, the Jews made two very human mistakes, and it's two very human mistakes that we actually make all the time. One was that they believed they would never end up in Babylon. They believed they would never end up in Babylon there's no way this could happen to me. There's no way this would happen to my family. We're good people. There's no way that this situation would ever surface in my life. You see, when that happens, it leads us to a sense of self, of, of false confidence because you know what? It could happen to you. It could happen to me. It could happen to anyone. We live in a broken world. The second the second mistake that we make, and the same mistake that the Jews made, was, was that they thought they would never get out of Babylon. My life is ruined. Now that this happened, it's never going to be the same. My image is never going to be re- recover. I'll never get a better job. My career is ruined. My life is ruined. I'll never, it'll never be like it was Again. They thought they'd never get out of Babylon. And when that happened, those two mistakes led them to this, this deep sense of misery, and that's what happens when that, to us as well. We, we feel that, we fall into that same danger when we, when we make those two mistakes. You see, and key to making those mistakes is that what we really are doing is we're, making two judgment calls. We're saying we're not expecting to God, we're not expecting God to fulfill his promises, or we don't want God to do what he has promised to do. Does that make any sense? Let me say it again. You see, the danger that we, we come into is that we come to this danger when we expect, expect what God has not promised, Like, we want God to do something that he hasn't said he's going to do, or we refuse to believe what God has said he's going to do. See, that's the danger with Jeremiah 29, 11, is that we're going to quote it without considering the context. We've all heard that when we hit rock bottom, you know, all we can do is go up. Well, here's a message for those who've hit rock bottom. Thank God, there's, um, here's a message of hope. As we, as we think about this verse today, I want you to keep two things in mind. One is that God will not always do what we expect him to do, and two, he will always do what he says he's going to do. And if you're taking notes this morning, this is the first thing you're going to find on the message notes. God will not always do what we expect him to do, but he will always do what we, he says he's going to do. And so we're going to go through three parts this morning of this verse It's going to kind of guide us along this journey, that's going to give us a message of hope as we look at what it means as we hit rock bottom and how this verse gives us hope. Because the first thing that it tells us is that God is thinking about us all the time. God is thinking about us all the time because it says, for I know the plans I have for you. For I know the plans I have for you. God is thinking about us. And this May be one of the most important statements that you will ever hear, that you or I will ever hear in our lives. The God of the universe is thinking about us, he's considering us, he he knows us, he remembers us, he's keeping us in mind, he knows who we are, where we are, never lost, never forgotten. His heart is so big, knowledge so vast. We never get lost in the mix. You know, here's the reality. We don't always think of each other. We don't always remember each other. We get preoccupied with life, preoccupied with other things, and the the people that are closest to us often get neglected or forgotten. Let me share a little story. In my life, I was at this uh, conference these last few days in Rochester, and after we got a couple of the kids to bed last night, um, Aaron went off to the store, and I uh, was watching a movie that I promised to my oldest boy, and I'm sitting on the couch having my... um, uh, what a, not fruity pebbles? Fruit Loops with marshmallows. Hey, don't judge me. Everyone's got a vice. Erin comes in from the store with a little bag and a card and some sweets and treats and stuff, and gives it to me, and, and I'm like, oh, she must have really missed me when I was gone. She got me a present. Did you know what was Sweetie's Day yesterday? I didn't. Aaron did. Oops. We forget birthdays, (laughs) anniversaries. Uh, you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, I mean, you name it, we forget these things. Even though I have these things written down in my physical planner, because I still have one of those, I have a digital calendar on my smartphone that self-syncs these things. I have them saved, like, reoccurring yearly events that give me week-before and and day-before reminders, and I still forget them. I forget them. Fact is, we're a whole lot better at remembering the bad things that happened to us than the good things in our life, right? We, we can recall the hard times and we can, and the insults that someone throws at us. We can remember those. We, we can remember those a long time, but we forget the things that are actually most important to us. You know, some of us have memories like an elephant, as, as they say. You know, it's said that an elephant never forgets. And, you know, there are people, and we all know people in our lives that, that Remember every rotten thing that has ever happened to them and they're willing to tell you all about it. And they nurse those grudges for years and years. And even when we do have good thoughts and we remember those things, we, we often tend to forget them over time. They don't stick around. That's why we say, out of sight, out of mind. But, you know, God never, this thing is God never forgets us. He never Loses sight of us, even though he, he's he's the ruler of not only the world, the universe, all things, everything. He never forgets his own. Which is interesting that the Hebrew word in this context um, contains this this concept. I don't know if you know this about original languages or not, but things don't always translate into English well. Um, if you've ever studied other languages, the English language English language is awful. I'm um, to translate, but the concept or idea that, that translates um, into thinking or, or thoughts uh, or plans, it, it, it appears three times. So God is not just saying, I've got plans for you. He's really saying, I've been thinking about you. I've been thinking about you. And that's a lot better when you when you think about it. Because it's more personal to know that God's thinking about you. A boss might say, I got plans for you, and that's going to mean I got a whole lot of work for you to do, and I, I'm going to need you to go ahead and come in on Saturday. Okay? Right? And it's not necessarily a good thing, but if if someone was to say, you know, I've been thinking about you lately, it means something different than I have plans for you. Because if someone says, I have plans for you, it means a lot of times we receive that as like, I have something I need you to do for me for my benefit. But if someone says, I've been thinking about you, that means that it's more personal. And I think about it even more deeply as I think about when I have to discipline my children. Because remember, the, the, the Jews are in exile in Babylon. Babylon. When I've had to discipline my kids, my kids are more in my thoughts than ever. I don't know, if you have kids and you've ever had to discipline a child or, or someone that you love and you've had to be that authoritative figure, for me as an empathetic person, I think about my child constantly during the discipline, after the discipline. Was it the right choice? Was it the right thing? Was it the right punishment? How are they handling it? How are they coping? How are they now? And my thoughts are even more deep for that person, that child, during the punishment and after it, than they were before. And that's me, and I'm not God. So how deep is God's thought for us? How deep is God's thought for the Jews in exile when when they're being punished for 70 years? We'll never understand jeremiah 29 11 thoroughly unless we we get to think about that that reality because it's not some divine rabbit's foot protecting us from pain and suffering we have to remember the context that the jews are in babylon they're being punished but that these words are meant to bring hope that they're not lost they're not forgotten and the babylon isn't going to last forever these words would provide encouragement. You know, I sent you to Babylon. Yes, I did. And I, I'm thinking about you while you're there in Babylon. I've not forgotten you in Babylon. And I am with you in Babylon. And I will give you a future in Babylon. And I'm going to bring you home from Babylon. It's, it's God's way of saying, I still love you, even though, even though you messed up. And even though, even though you messed up, I still have big plans for you and a future. And that future starts now. Today, right now, not 70 years from now when you get home, but right now. And yet we still wonder, we still wonder. Often, it seems like the devil whispers in our ear in those hard times using discouragement to cause us to doubt. That's why I really liked what Brad said the other day when he said, Jesus knows your name and calls you by name and calls you by your potential, but the devil knows your name and calls you by name but calls you by your sin. So we often ask, what is it that God is trying to do? Why is it that God lets us suffer? Why do we go endure hardships? And we often ask that when we're enduring those hardships. We don't usually question that when everything's going hunky-dory, Pollyanna Christian. But there's several reasons to consider why we endure hardship. And I want to give you just five today to ponder. Why do you endure hardship? Why would God allow us to suffer? And the first is that God is trying to purge us of a sin to to purify us of, of an immorality in our life. Sometimes God allows hardship because we need to get our life right. Because he loves us that much. Just like you would redirect a child of your own. Not because he wants to, but because he needs to. Because he loves us. That much because God loves us enough to meet us where we are, but He loves us too much to leave us the way He finds us. Second reason that God allows suffering or, or, or hardship in our life is that God uses these things sometimes to test our faith. I didn't say these are going to be easy to hear. Sometimes we endure hardship and and we need to find out is are we going to obey God in the darkness? Are we going to serve when things aren't going the way we want them to? Will we hold on to the truth when we feel like giving up? Another reason, third, is, is God uses times of difficulty to humble us. Because honestly, when things are going really well in our life, we, we often get puffed up and prideful and you know, arrogant and you know all about our accomplishments. Yes, I can. And, and when we do that, We don't need God because it's all about us. And so sometimes we go through those hardships and and troubles and we fall into darkness and it allows us to humble ourselves and truly fall onto our knees and cry out to God and remember who we are. Fourth, God uses hard times to prepare us to minister to others. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people and I've seen people who have had these immense moments of ministry with others because they've been able to share with another person about how God had helped them through a crisis in their life. It's not that God made that bad thing happen to you, but you were able to take that thing and use it for good to help someone else. Five, God uses hard times to prepare us for a new understanding of his character. Sometimes we have to endure something so we can learn something new about God in our lives. It's that furnace experience um, from Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was only in the furnace, furnace that we discover God's goodness in a way that we had never experienced it before, a new perspective. You know, and as a pastor, I, I've walked with people in all kinds of traumas and dramas and in all kinds of situations um, uh, with a parent or a child who has died uh, through a, a painful divorce, through illness, through surgery, through, through suicides and, and addictions and and. You know, people at their darkest times. and So, let me ask you, or, or I'll ask myself, you know, or, or whatever, however you want to perceive this, but have you ever been to that point in your life where you just needed to get to the end of the day? If you could see the end of the day, or, or the end of the week, or the end of the month, or the end of the year, then, then it would be okay. If, we could just, if this day would just end... If I could just get to the end of this week or the end of this month or the end of this year, then I could could finally start over because there's just so much pain in this. Because it's times like this that we learn how desperately we are in need of God's grace. On one level, we all know that's true. It's just that we forget about it until our life falls apart. The third thing that God in, is that God intends to give us a future with hope. God intends to give us a future with hope. He says, to give you a future with hope. And I was fascinated to discover that some versions of the Bible say, to give you an expected end. An expected end. It's actually a really good way to translate the Hebrew, it's not just to give like this vague, you know, to give you a future with hope, because that's very vague. Like, what does that mean, a future with hope? It's like saying, the last Jedi. I don't know what that means. I kind of do, but I don't. I actually do, but, but to, give an, to give you an expected end, that's actually something that I, can, that I can understand because a future and a hope is vague, and that just, to me, means that, that somewhere, somewhere, somehow, sometime, there's going to be some situation where I'm going to have a future and there might be some hope involved. And, of course, that's true, but it's not specific enough because God is very specific. And so an expected end, it has, that means that God has an appointed ending for his people. And that nothing will hinder them from reaching that appointed end. You see, they couldn't see it at the time, but because they were trapped in Babylon under total control, and for 70 years, 70 years later, down the road, King Nebuchadnezzar would be overthrown. So King Nebuchadnezzar was raised up by God to judge them, took them into exile, and 70 years later, another pagan king, King Cyrus, would be raised up and he would deliver them neither king was aware that they were being used by God. They each acted in their own free will, in their own way, and yet God worked through those decisions to bring his people home. The end they expected came, but not how they expected it to. And it didn't come for 70 years. You see, they see, they saw an end this way, but God did it this way. But, it happened in the way that God had planned it to happen because there are no unfinished plans of God. God ended it just like he wanted to. And when we understand that God has no unfinished plans, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven becomes a greater comfort, especially when we're going through those hard times because it teaches us to think about God in, in, in that light. It teaches us that God's thoughts for us are good, and that, and that his purposes, when his purposes have been complete, whatever they may be, even if we don't know what they are, he'll bring us out of those troubles at the appointed time. And there will be an expected ending, and there will be a hope and a future. So, what's our response? How do we apply this to our lives today, now, from this point forward? Well, two things. The first is our greatest need in this life is to submit ourselves to God. In order to live this out, we have to submit ourselves to God. We need to be able to say, you know, God, I understand. You know what's going on and I don't. We have to be willing to say that. God, you know what's going on. Even though everything around me seems dark and confusing, you have a purpose for my life, even though I seem to be going in circles. Nothing seems to be happening as I expected it to but I know that nothing happens by chance. And so I'm going to kneel down and pray, God, to you be the glory. And that's something we should all be saying. The second thing, if this verse is true, if, if we believe Jeremiah 29, 11, then our position ought to be one of ever-increasing hope in God. I admit that's hard to do when, when a child is suffering or an illness hits us or our marriage is falling apart or our career dissolves or we can't pay the bills, or we're suffering from rejection, or we thought we could trust someone and it turns out that we can't. We live in a broken world, and we ourselves are broken people. And we are not who we should be, or could be, or someday will be. And there's no verse in the Bible that I could tell you today that can fix any of that. I wish there was, but there's not. But Jeremiah 29:11 leads us out of that darkness. It does. It reminds us that we are not children of darkness, but we're children of light. I love what Proverbs 4:18 says. It says, "The way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, which shines ever bright, brighter until the full day." When we read verses like Jeremiah 29:11, we must ask ourselves, what difference does it mean? What difference does it make to be a Christian? If we suffer as everyone else suffers, if we get sick, if we face troubles, if if we go through the full range of this human experience, what difference does it all make? If there's no magic verse that can wipe away all our troubles, wipe away all our tears, resolve all our conflicts, or or bring us quickly to, to the end of our trials, what's the point? If anything, verses like this are meant to help us while we're in the middle of those questions. To give us that truth, that hope, that there is a purpose, that it won't last forever, that God will see us through. What difference does it make? Well, the difference is is that Jesus Christ has died, and he's risen from the dead, and his death defeated sin, and his resurrection defeated death, and our two greatest enemies lie defeated at his feet. Sin and death, and he defeated them both, purchasing us with a sacrifice and welcoming us into God's family, guaranteeing our salvation. Now, if we know Christ and we have what we have what we need, when we need it, and that means that if we find ourselves in the midst of pain or difficulty or sickness or loneliness, then then it must be true that in some way even if we can't clearly see it, that we are where we are because we need to be there in that moment. Not tomorrow or any time else, but in that moment, we are where we are because that's where we need to be. It was true for the Jews in Babylon and it's true for us as as well, wherever we happen to be. If you needed to be somewhere else right now, you would be in that other place. But you are where you are because of God's divine oversight in your life. Either we believe that or we don't. You believe it or you don't. And if we don't believe it, we're bound to end up unhappy, frustrated, miserable, with filled with doubts, easily angered, and prone to, seeing, to seeking quick fixes and, and wanting, instead of waiting on God. But if we believe, verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, if we believe it, then we're going to do something different. We're going to wait patiently on God, believing that Babylon is actually better for us than Jerusalem, even as we wait in the unknown. Because we rest securely knowing that God has no unfinished plans, because God has promised that we're going to go home. We're not home yet, but we'll be there soon enough. No one really knows what tomorrow's going to bring, but God does, and He has a plan and has given each of us a promise. God has no unfinished plans. So if your way is dark today, don't lose faith. When the trial is over, you will say what the saints have said through every age. The Lord was with me all the way. The Lord was with me all the way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you never leave us. You've never forsaken us. While we might not know your plan in a moment, we are never far from you even amidst our brokenness. We place our faith in your divine plan. We trust that in our, when the time is right, in your time and not ours, that you would see your plan through in our lives, bringing us hope and a future. And when all else fails, Lord, we rest securely in you through your Son, Jesus the Christ, and our Savior. And it's in his name that we pray. And everyone said Amen.